If you want to support the show, the best way you can is through any of the books or current ongoing Vela shorts that are being released on a regular basis. The easiest way to find this is to go to bitbit.ly slash tmrbooks, and you'll have links there to everything. All of my Kindle books are available for free. If you have Kindle Unlimited, you don't have to pay anything. You get it with your subscription. You can read them all. They're all in screenplay format. That includes Swan Song, The Muses, Duet, In the End. Our past does not define us. Anything else that I've written that's available on Kindle, it's available there. You can buy a soft cover if you want. Uh, there's a hardcover collection of all of the Swan Song books all combined into one. That's available as a hardcover. You can pre-order Echo Alpha, which is coming out in November. All of these things are available if you go uh, on Amazon. But quick link, if you go bitbit.ly slash tmrbooks, I have them all there nice, easily cataloged. Also, down toward the bottom, we have the Kindle Vela content. Uh, the first three episodes are always free. And then after that, um, there's a token system that you can use to... to you know, read. Even if you don't like it, just give it a thumbs up. Uh, that way we can get it up higher so more people see it. So one final time, that's bitbit.ly slash tmrbooks. And every Wednesday, there's a new Vela book that goes up. Taser and Acrobat, Nanite and Rosebud, Tales from Another World, and The Alchemist and the Illusionist. All go up on Wednesdays, and it's all available on uh, Kindle Vela. All of this is available bitbit.ly slash tmrbooks. This week on 30 Minute Reviews, Rogue One. We're going to reevaluate Rogue One now that we're five years out from the original release. Plus, Shang-Chi's opening weekend box office, destroying the previous record. Genie Plus at the Disney Parks. Matrix Resurrections has a trailer, still not interested. Footage is leaked from the cancelled New Warriors TV show. What was announced at the PlayStation Presents event. And Christopher Nolan has reportedly been shopping around his next movie. All of that and more this week on 30 Minute Reviews. Welcome to 30 Minute Reviews. I am Adam. Let's start out with the two most recent stories because I have those drawn up on my phone. First, let's start out with the new release dates of Sony's that they've... Well, I mean, let me rephrase that. Sony has announced a bunch of movies that we knew were in development, and they put release release dates down for some of these movies. So, the first one is the Javier Bardem-led Lyle Lyle Crocodile movie. Now, I texted someone about this when it was announced, and I was like, they're making a Lyle Lyle Crocodile movie. Um, with Javier Bardem, and um, he said, who's that? And it occurred to me that because my parents were both teachers, specifically my mom taught, you know, early childhood years, like kindergarten, first grade, second grade, that kind of thing. We had a vast, you know, library of older uh, children's books that many people did not have. And Lala Crocodile Crocodile was this uh, 1964 children's book about a crocodile. I don't remember it too much more specifically than that, but I knew it was a, a big deal. So that is 
going to be moving its release date from July 22nd, 2022 to November 18th of 2022. And then the rest all got dates. Um, A Mouthful of Air, which is a stage six film movie that doesn't have any description with it. Um, Well, it does, but I didn't screenshot that part of the article. That comes out October 29th of presumably 2022, considering everything here. It's a novelization of an Amy Copeland, Copeland novel. I'll have to read that at some point. Uh, I'm assuming that that's meant to be 2022, but it says 2021 in the article, October 29, 2021. Because it's weird if they were to all of a sudden announce this is happening with no, like, and, and say, oh, and by the way, it comes out in a little over a month. They're doing a biopic about Foreman. Again, I didn't screenshot the entire article, so it could be George Foreman, could be a different Foreman, untitled Foreman biopic from Affirm Films on September 16, 2022. Um, I Want to Dance with Somebody with a biopic about Whitney Houston. Whoever is in the lead of that will be in the running for Best Actress, I feel like, of that year. That's coming out on December 23rd, 2022. And then Harold and the Purple Crayon is getting a movie with uh, the guy who played Shazam, Zachary Levy. Uh, and that's coming out January 27th, 2023. Cool. I, I feel like there should be there's not too much more to say about that. Uh, second story that broke today... Christopher Nolan, the man singularly responsible for the HBO Max day and date release plan, which I'm not going to let him forget that fact because it is literally entirely his fault. Like, the fact that this happened was because he insisted that Tenet was going to be a movie that's going to get people back in theaters and that because of his insistence that that was going to happen, Tenet came out in theaters, absolutely bombed, shattered in the industry as a whole, shattered their confidence in the theater-going experience during the pandemic, and caused HBO Max to their day-and-date release plan for all their 2021 movies, and then called them out for it, saying, oh, that's shitty that you did that, which to an extent was right, but then they did go back and renegotiate contracts with their talent, and, you know, he's doing that. So now, he's shopping around his next movie. Several studios are entertaining the notion of releasing his next movie, which is allegedly a World War II story about Robert Oppenheimer. I don't think that that's necessarily going to sell well, nor is it anything that I would be interested in seeing on a good day. But, like, maybe because it's just for Nolan, I'll see it. But, like, at the same time, it's not like, you know, Tenet I was excited for until the movie came out and and was what it was. Dunkirk I was excited about. Like... An Oppenheimer biopic, uh, I'm good. And I I don't think that, like, you know, it's something that I would be, you know, gung-ho crazy. I have to see this movie, you know, day one. You know, it's just, eventually I'll see it, but whatever. Um, Since 2002, he's mostly been with Warner Brothers, but um, he apparently fell apart from that. And really, it's his own fault. It's, it's his ego got too big, and then it did, he they didn't bend to his will, and, and all of it kind of fell apart. That said, the box office is rebounding, which brings us to our next story. Shang-Chi, the latest Marvel Studios entry that will likely not be released in China, opened to about $90 million over Labor Day weekend, shattering the previous record set by Halloween, the 2007 Halloween remake made by Rob Zombie. I, I don't know what else to say about that. I mean, I think that what this says is... I, I think that... Well, first of all, this movie doing 
what it did, which actually I think it was 78 million. I think I have the wrong number here. Or 86 million. Oh no, 86 million is four day, including Labor Day. So it didn't quite beat Black Widow, but in the same way that any time there's a new superhero movie from Marvel, with the exception, well, Black Panther was already introduced. Like, when they introduced Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange didn't do, you know, huge amounts of money either right out of the gate. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays week two and beyond. Because this is the first movie of the pandemic era to not get a day-and-date release. It's not a 45-day theatrical-exclusive window. If week two, it continues to to dominate, which, based on this weekend, I don't think Malignant's going to knock it off. It'll still win the weekend, I think, but if this is what it appears to be, and this goes the way it appears to be going with day-and-date release, I, I think that, or without day-and-date release, I think that, you know, we could see this at the beginning of the, you know, the end of the, you know, the home media model. Um, and I, I think that, like, one of the good signs that came from this was... Uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, was also slated to be a movie that was going to be coming out in theaters, no streaming because of the wonky deal that Sony has going for these things, where it's like, as soon as the movie's done in theaters and when it goes to home media, it goes to Netflix after that three weeks. Like, there's three weeks when it's digital, then when it goes to home media, it goes to Netflix as well. Then after it's run on Netflix, it goes to Disney Plus as part of this new deal with Spider-Man characters where it all ends up kind of in the same place. And that becomes its home after that. Um, no more shopping around or anything that needs to go into it. Now, the, the thing that, you know, kind of interested me about that was because of that, there was no premium streaming home for this movie. Like, Sony doesn't have its own streamer. Sony doesn't have, like, you know, there's Peacock, which is where Halloween Kills is going to be. HBO Max, where Malignant's going to be. Disney Plus, where Black Widow, Cruella, and Jungle Cruise were. HBO Max, also I'm getting The Matrix, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, so because of that, we didn't have a home where we could release Sony movies. Like, oh, Paramount Plus is going to have Top Gun Maverick. So, like, because of all of that, we, we didn't have a spot where Sony would be able to put in their movies. And they had to go day-and-date release, uh, or theatrical only. So what they did was they targeted um, the week after or the week before Dune. Um, they moved it off a few weeks ago. I think we, we reported on that a few weeks ago when they moved it off that release date because they were like, we need to do, um, fuck it, this movie's going to bomb anyway. Just throw it in there, hope for the best, and, you know, who cares? Uh, week before Dune, because then it was going to come out and then Dune was going to, you know win the next weekend. And I think that within an hour after the announcement that they were, uh, of what Shang-Chi did at the box office, which I'm going to apologize all through this podcast and the intro and in other places, I've been pronouncing the name wrong, but I've been pronouncing it Shang-Chi up until this point, And then I heard in the movie, it's Shang-Chi. And I'm going to be honest, I'm probably going to make the mistake again, but it's not intentional. It's just the way I've pronounced it. Like Dormammu, Dormammu, or however you're going to pronounce it. That's the thing, when you when you have it written down and there's no pronunciation guide with it, people are going to pronounce it wrong. It's kind of like in Harry Potter, where in the fourth book, Hermione kind of dates Victor Crumb for a little bit, specifically so that we can get a pronunciation key to her name, which is bizarre, to say the least. So anyway, um, back on, on topic, with that happening, and with Sony seeing this and being like, you know, this can make us money, they immediately moved Carnage back to its spot from before it moved to right before Dune. And now it's coming out the last week in September. 
So I think we're seeing this as the beginning of a rising confidence of studios in the theatrical model as we as we get closer to, you know, to that. So I'm interested to see, you know, how this plays out this weekend. That's going to be the real interesting thing, how this weekend looks at the box office. How much money does uh, Shang-Chi actually bring home? Because Malignant's not going to do as well because Malignant's also on HBO Max. Um so, I, but I think that had it not been for the pandemic, I think it would have done solid, you know, a, a theatrically released James Wan horror movie, considering who Wan is and how well he's done in the past, could have done well, but, you know, pandemic. Our next story is Genie Plus, which has been the the subject of a lot of ire. Genie Plus is the latest thing by Disney to release, really, wow to um, replace FastPass. And if you're like me, you live far away from Disney and don't have the disposable income to go to Disney on a regular basis. Like, when I see people complaining about the Disney annual pass or, like, you know, anything like that, I'm like, you rich motherfucker. Like, how much money are you making? Like, you can afford to go to Disney on that consistent basis. It's like 130... Well, the last time I went was 2014, um, and Disneyland was like 100. 20 130 dollars to get into per person like and with i was on vacation in los angeles and i went there and it's like it's expensive to get into these parks so what they did was they put this new fee on where instead of you know having fast pass you got to pay an added fee to use what's called genie plus and it's basically fast pass but it's for all the rides and i saw this and i was like wait weren't they doing this already and then i remembered no Universal does this. Universal has a list where you can you you pay an extra hundred dollars at the beginning of your day. You get this neat little lanyard and you wear it around and you get to go on the short line to get into everything before anyone else. And you get first in line once per ride. Um, and it's a really cool thing and it's worth the hundred dollars. Now, if you're someone who's going to Disney already, you can af- you can probably afford this little upgrade. And if not. You can wait in the line the same you would every other time. I'm sorry. Like, the, the Fast Pass, if I remember correctly, is a reasonably recent thing where it's, like, 2001, 2000 when it was introduced. Like, people have such short memories about this shit. Like, and the thing is, too, again, corporations are not your friend. Of course they're going to do things to nickel and dime you. And, of course, there's a, this is a foregone conclusion that this is going to be happening. Um... Like, they don't introduce something for free out of the goodness of their hearts. It's going to happen. And then, like, not get you to eventually pay for it. Like, that's all corporations are expected to do. It's like, we're going to do this, and then if that works and we can charge you for that, we're going to, we're gonna you know, do this, and we're going to just keep moving the line up to see where it is. And if you want to make that as the case, then, then by all means. But, you know, going to Disney World is not exactly a, a, a thing that's, I would say, even middle-class friendly. It's a very expensive proposition, where it's like paying an extra $100 per person to be able to cut the line on every ride. Not a bad deal, I would say. Now, $3,000 per person or something like that to go into a uh, a giant Star Wars LARP convention for three days, that's excessive. And that's another thing that they have um, I don't know enough about to talk about. Um, one would argue I don't know enough about Genie Plus to talk about that, and here we are, but... You know, I saw a lot about that. I kind of wanted to address it. Let's start with the Matrix Resurrections trailer, um, which, if you know me, I'm not a huge Matrix fan. Um, I didn't see the Matrix until very late. In, okay, let me rephrase that. 
I saw The Matrix for the first time in high school. I didn't see it in theaters because when it came out in 99, I was five years old. So I did not see The Matrix in theaters. Um, I saw it in high school-ish, and, you know, it was cool. The effects did, you know, a little bit hold up. Not to a, you know, truly impressive degree, but enough. They held up, and you know, that was cool. Then I was in college when I saw Resurrections and, you know, Revolution. Revolution, no, Resurrections the new one. Revolution and I forgot what the other one is. Revelation Online. I don't remember. The other two, and Animatrix. So, I, I didn't see those until later in life, and even though I was like, eh, alright, don't understand the huge deal about this, but, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like Avatar, the special effects were groundbreaking in the time, if you're not going to watch it in a format that is conducive to seeing that in, in a fresh light, then you're not going to, you know, win anyone over. So, I saw this trailer. I've seen it... Once and a half, I would say, because I saw it once on my lunch break yesterday, and then I was watching the the, the Buccaneers Cowboys game last night, and I saw it a second. I saw like the the TV spot version with like watch the trailer online, and it's like there's nothing about this movie that interests me. Like I think that like for the Matrix and its sequels problems, it did kind of finish off in a perfect spot where you don't really need to continue the story. Unless they're ditching the second two movies and saying this is a direct sequel to The Matrix, which would be fine. I don't have any concrete thoughts one way or the other on them doing that. I'm not also versed enough in, in the movies to be able to say that's a good idea or a bad idea. But also, I was told by someone that the online game is canon to this because Morpheus dies in the online game. So you need to be familiar with the online game to understand this movie, which... If that's the case, I don't think this is that's a great move by anyone, but I digress. It's not the first time that an online game, that a game been, like, you know, important to the story. Like, you know, we have another one coming up later on this, but, like, Shadows of Mordor and Shadow of War are both canon to the Lord of the Rings movies, if I remember correctly. I don't know. I, I don't feel like this movie is going to sell anyone who's on the fence to see this movie, because it's just... This movie is... This, this trailer just feels like an acknowledgement that the movie exists, and it's like... I feel like I'm watching Iron Fist again, or let me, let me, because it's like, you know, we, the audience, will know that Neo is, that, you know, Mr. Anderson, whatever the hell his first name, Tom, I think his name is, whatever the hell is, maybe that's the guy from MySpace, whatever the hell his name is, we, the audience, will know that he is Neo, and we will know that the events of the Matrix happened, and this trailer does not shy away from the fact that the Matrix is real, but it appears that people won't believe him. And if that's a major thing going through the story, you're wasting my time. That is important narrative, you know, time to tell a story that you are wasting by by rehashing things that I already know as, as the audience member. And then on top of it, it's like, I'm watching this trailer and it's like, I, like, nothing about this trailer screams that there's going to be new, innovative, you know, anything, special effects or anything. That's going to make this worth my time watching. Like, it's not going to be Avatar. It's not going to be T2. It's not going to be even The Matrix. Which, I put T2 in there because it has some groundbreaking graphics. But T2 is, you know, not a... Uh, it's a good movie independent of... Well, so is The Matrix. But, like, I don't know. It's like it's kind of like, you know, if you look at what happened with Blade Runner 2049. Where it's like Blade Runner is considered one of the greatest movies of all time. Because of its, you know, like... 
the imagery that comes out of that movie has become the standard to an extent. It's kind of like the Citizen Kane of science fiction, where it re- it changed the visual medium of science fiction forever with that movie. And it's like, do we, like, in, in this case, when we look at The Matrix, The Matrix did kind of change everything too. It was the first, I think it was the first movie to heavily use, like, uh, computer-generated graphics and it really was a high-concept science fiction movie brought to the mainstream. I, I, I don't know. I don't really have too much more to say about the Matrix trailer. I mean, I'm going to see it because I have a podcast where I discuss new release movies. So I'm going to see it, but I'm not going to be happy about it. Let's go on to the new Warriors footage leak, which garnered a lot of, like, what the fuck. Now, I have a, a strange relationship with the Marvel television shows. I never watched The Runaways. I watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. through Season 4. I watched Daredevil Season 1 and 2. I never finished 3. Watched, you know, Jessica Jones Season 1, Luke Cage Season 1, Iron Fist Season 1, Defenders. And then it kind of started falling apart for me after the Defenders. They were like, you know, like, one too many times you get burned. Where it's like the Iron, I think it was the Iron Fist, what's it called? It was the Iron Fist and then um, Defenders combo, that one-two punch, so to speak. That really made me fall off with Marvel TV's offerings. Legion was great, but that wasn't Marvel Entertainment. That was Fox. Um, but, like, I, I, that, that's where I really kind of fell off. And I felt like, you know, it's not... I'm not going to put myself through this because I have better things to do with 13 hours than watch this show. When New Warriors was announced, I think I, I seem to recall being excited on the show. Like, oh, cool, they're doing a New Warriors show. And it's like they got some big names. They got... The, the girl from the T-Mobile commercial, or the, the AT&T commercials, playing Squirrel Girl and, and things like that. But, like, no info was ever given. There was a pilot they shot, never got released. And then um, they they were going to do it on Freeform. Freeform ultimately passed. And they brought it to a bunch of other networks who also ultimately passed. And then, like, I think it was also, like, you know, Marvel on TV kind of, like, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. was the only one that had any longevity. Like, Inhumans was universally panned. If I remember correctly, The Runaways started on Freeform, didn't quite get support, and then ended up moving to Hulu after that to finish off its run. And then there was also the schism that happened where Marvel TV kind of split out from Marvel Studios. The two weren't talking, and it was kind of a big, you know, fuck-up all around. And I believe that's what the show was the was this this show's cancellation was the the result of. I think it was the result of a a, a, a like that misconnect that disconnect. Same as the the Howard the Duck show that's supposed to be on Hulu. Same as the um, the White Tiger show that was coming, or maybe it was Ti- no, it was White Tiger. No, Tiger maybe. I don't remember. There was one of those that was you know supposed to be on um, on Hulu. And there was a fourth one, too, alongside MODOK, where MODOK was the only one that ever got made, because it was already in production when the cancellations happened. But it was right around the time that Jeff Loeb got fired, um, that all of that kind of fell apart. Um, and I think this show was a victim of that. And it, people were seeing this and like, oh, well, why didn't we get this? And it's like, well, you didn't watch any of the other shit, why are you going to get this now? Like, in order for a TV show to get made, you need to watch the other shows, um, because to, to prove that people, there's an audience for it. And it simply wasn't an audience for it. Because I guess if if Freeform ended up, you know, getting rid of that other one, The Runaways, then that tells me that people weren't watching it. Because if it was running, people would they would have kept the show running. So that that's what happened there. Um, the images that came out of what the squirrel what the squirrel girl costume looked like. Um, 
I mean, it looks like it looks like Squirrel Girl. Like, what the fuck? Like, if there's one thing that Marvel does very right, it's costumes. Um, and and it's like, yeah, they they did a good job of the costume. What what do you what more do you want me to say? Um, I'm not demanding that the show get made or that you know anything happen. Like, this, you know, but could have been, could have been. Like, we didn't get Superman Lives, you know, so. Whatever. Whatever you get to see the painkiller tra- um, uh, pilot or the, the, the true pilot for Green Arrow and the Canaries. So, you know, whatever. This happens and people just gotta deal with it. There's a PlayStation Presents yesterday and we'll wrap up with this. Uh, here are some of the highlights. Um, God of War Ragnarok, where it appears that Kratos is going to be facing off against the Norse gods now, including Thor, the god of thunder. It was officially confirmed. I did not write down a release date because I'm an idiot. Insomniac has confirmed Spider-Man 2. This falls on the heels of Spider-Man Miles Morales that came out last year, which I still have not played. I loved Spider-Man. I th- well, okay, let me rephrase why I haven't played Miles Morales. I'm waiting to get a PS5 because I don't want to play it on a PS4 and then get the the set on PS5 again, because I know I'm going to, so I'd rather just get the game once on the PS5 when I eventually get a PS5. So, uh, we do know two of the villains are going to be appearing in that, uh, Venom and Kraven the Hunter, Kraven the Hunter are going to be two of the villains, looking forward to that. Insomniac also announced they have a second Marvel property they're working on, similar to how Square has two Marvel game properties now, they have, what was the first one, they had the Avengers game. Um, that was moderately well-received, and now they have Guardians of the Galaxy. Insomniac is also making a Wolverine game. If it's open-world like Spider-Man, and it's it's similar, all for it. I will I will play the fuck out of that game. So so let's let's see how that looks. That game is in very early development, so don't expect anything until I would say at least 2020, 2023, 2024. There was a lot of griping about this one. GTA 5 Next Gen isn't coming until March of 2022. I'm okay with the port of GTA 5 to um, PlayStation, and PlayStation 5 and Xbox One. Uh, and let me tell you why. Eventually, they're going to have to rebuild the, what's it called? From the ground up, they would have to rebuild the entire world of, you know, all the engine and, and the characters and all of that for GTA 6, which is what people are complaining about. It's like, oh, we're getting this and not GTA 6. And it's like, well, yeah, because the thing is, it's like, you don't have to rewrite a story or bring in new voice actors or, like, redesign any assets or anything like that. You're you're taking it, making it in the new engine, compatible with the new dev kit, and releasing it. It is substantially easier than doing that. Plus, you're getting people acclimated to working in this new space with the new me- with the new methods and all of that. This is an important first step. I'm all for this. And the thing is, too, if you want to say that, like, yeah, maybe they should have done it from the PS4, but if I remember correctly, GTA V came out very close to the release of the PlayStation 4. Like, it's like when a game came out close to the release of the PlayStation 5 and it came out on both, like Spider-Man Miles Morales. Like, you know, it, it just, they did it there. So they're moving GTA V there because it's an easy thing to do, though it's going to generate the money, and it, it makes sense to me. For that. that decision makes sense to me. Um, so I'm not going to fault them for that. If the PlayStation 6 comes out and we still don't have GTA 6, then we, we got an issue then. Then I can I, I will allow criticism at that point. But this is an important first step for a video game developer moving into their next phase of production, what they're doing. Um, also, Rockstar did, you know, Rockstar does a lot. Rockstar, um, well, not really. I mean, they got, oh no, they did Red Dead Redemption 2 in between. Yeah, so cut them some slack. So, so that, that's happening. 
Um, and that's the Old Republic is also getting remade. Now, where this fits into the canon is up for debate, whether or not this is going to be a, uh, like, whether or not this recanonizes the story, or it's going to be like Marvel's recent releases, where it's like, the best of legends, and here's Shatterpoint, and here is uh, Heir to the Empire trilogy, and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, where it's like, it's still Legends, but we're re-releasing it with a new cover, and, you know, we're putting the Legends logo on it big, so that way you can see this is definitely not canon. Like, you know, it, it's unclear as to what approach they're going to be taking. Um, so, that's, you know, it, it's going to be cool, it's going to be fun to play. If you like the first one, you're probably going to like this one. It's a ground-up remake, obviously, because it's an entirely different engine being played on. So, nothing surprising there. So, let's see how that comes before we really, you know, complain about it. Um, there was some griping about this being a timed release, or a timed exclusive for Sony. I think that this points to a larger um, Disney licensing deal with Sony. Um, and I think this also points to the fact that I don't think Spider-Man will be leaving the MCU anytime soon. Um, between Spider-Man and Sony, Spider-Man related property movies going to Disney Plus with um, Insomniac developing um, what's it called first party titles for Sony um, based on Spider-Man and now also getting to play with a character that's not Spider-Man in Wolverine. Disney owns Star Wars and now we're getting a, a Star Wars game that's a timed uh, exclusive release with Sony and then it's eventually going to go to Xbox. I see this as a um, you know a sign that the the avenues of communication are well well lubricated between Sony and Disney. Uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how this how this plays going forward. But I I do like what I'm seeing between these two companies, and it, as long as it leads to good content, um, and fun games uh, and and good movies, I'm fine with it. Which now I think that was the last thing on my list. That is the last thing on my list. Let's talk about Rogue One. Um, which came out five years ago. I saw it like three times, once in theaters, then like maybe twice after on home media. And, you know, I remember watching it the first time. Actually, I definitely watched it twice in theaters because I watched it the first time and I was like, oh, this movie's great. And I left the theaters and I gave it a glowing review and I was like, oh my God, this movie's the best thing ever. Um, because that, that back half of the movie, um, or the, like the third act of the movie is fantastic. Like everything that happens on Scarif is, is great. I, I love it, but I, I fell into this kind of like, you know, after the second view, I was like, yeah, but everything up until that point kind of isn't great. It's kind of boring. And then when I watched it this time, I was like, I think I was vastly over, like overblowing how bad that part was. Like how, like, it's not that much to slog through with Forrest Whitaker's ridiculous. I mean, he made choices, but they're not great choices with his character. Like, you know. You came to kill me? And I think I made that exact same thing five years ago. And, and he, like, it's, it's still just as ridiculous this time. I, I, like, I am fine with that being the end of Saw. But it does kind of lend a lot of questions because, like, they keep using Saw and everything. And, and really, that's one of the things I want to touch on is, like, my favorite thing about this movie, and I think I said this initially, is how much it reframes A New Hope in a, in a good way. Where it's like, when you see uh, Revenge of the Sith, which is a prequel, it doesn't reframe your understanding of the of the movie. I think that in order for a prequel to exist, the best thing a prequel can do is reframe something about the movie um, that, it, that, is, that it is prequeling to. Like, when you watch Revenge of the Sith, it's not 
giving you any new information. You are just um, seeing events that were alluded to in the previous, you know, three, five movies at that point. Where it's like, we knew there was going to be a fight between Obi-Wan and Anakin, and that was going to come to a head. Um, we knew that the Republic was going to fall and be replaced by the Empire. We knew all that was going to happen. This is the, you get to watch it now. And it doesn't change anything. It's just you're now seeing the events as it happened. You may have more of an emotional connection to the fall because you now are related, like you like the characters and you formed an attachment to Obi-Wan, to Mace Windu, to, um, to, well, I mean, you had to Yoda. But because you formed this connection now with these characters, you now feel more for their, for their fall. What it didn't do was change your understanding, really, of anything in the original trilogy. And what this movie does is that, thir- like, I would say the entire movie, because I used to say it was just the third act, where it's like, from the time they get the Scarif to, to the end of the movie, it completely reframes everything. Because really, the whole thing out of the gate, from the time, like, Jin gets picked up by the rebels and goes immediately to Saw. And then from that point on, it's very, it's almost breathless the way that it goes, okay, we're on Jeddah now. Uh, and she finds out that her father's alive and she's got, and he has a de- the plans for the Death Star. Then the Death Star actually does its thing and blows up the holy city on Jeddah. And then they go off to the next thing, which I completely forgot was a thing, that second planet. And then they go to the, the third planet and, and then they, they go back to the rebel base. And it's like the entire original trilogy of Star Wars is now predicated on the fact that Jin doesn't just listen to what the, like when we like, oh, that was it. When, when we talk about like, you know, what causes everything, it's like everything about the third act happens because of Jin deciding not to do what the Rebel Alliance says to do. And I think that the, like, that's something that we, you know, wasn't talked about. And I, th- I don't know if it was with malice or just people not understanding how to watch a movie. But, like, that was a criticism that, like, some article levied about, you know, that movie. And it was like, Jin doesn't make any decisions in this movie. And it's like, no, she makes the decision to go off on her own and go and capture the Death Star plans, willing to do it herself, if need be, if, if she won't get the support of the Rebel Alliance. That's a pretty big deal that gets, you know, just completely forgotten about. I don't know if it's intentional and with malice that it's like, we're just going to ignore that, just so that Jin, Jin doesn't do anything on her own, or if it's just people who are making those criticisms just don't know how to watch a movie, but it's her choice. Ultimately, it's her choice that, like, hey, we need to do this. We need to steal these plans. And then the rest of the Rebel Alliance is just like, all right, fuck it, we got to go and do what she did. She already started something, and now we can't just not do it. And she she gets sent off on a, uh, and, and, you know, they go off on the suicide mission on Scarif. And I think that one of the boldest things this movie does is kill everyone off, where it's like, you know, you could have done a another one. Well, you really couldn't have. Like, there's no way to tell a story where everyone lives, where anyone lives. But, like, everyone, like, everyone dies as part of that team. And it was a, it's a suicide mission that they're all going off to do willingly and they know that that's you know that's what they're doing and it's such a great story with some of the best like i would say the best star wars effects of the disney or any era really you know like i i love the and it's like there are a lot of visual things in this movie that are kind of unique like as the rebels have the death the, the death star plan and they want to make their retreat um, the ships start jumping into hyperspace and then as they're jumping vader's star destroyer jumps in in front of them 
and one of them jumps directly into it and just bursts in the flame. It, it's such a cool visual. And then there's like the hammerhead thing that they use to push the Star Destroyer into the other Star Destroyer. And it's such a cool effect. And that's another thing that they really play with that you really rarely see, except for, I think, in The Last Jedi, where it's like, we're going to destroy these ships, but it's going to be largely, what's it called? It's going to be largely a, uh, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you know, in, it's in space, so it's like, there's not a ton of fire. There's going to be a little bit of fire. But by and large, it's just, you know, wreckage flying around. Um, and it looks really cool. Um, so... I mean, at this point, I'm not selling Rogue One to anyone. You've either seen it or you haven't. But I think it's worth a rewatch. Um, I would say it's the strongest of the Disney-era movies. I'm going to rewatch Solo for next week. I would say it's the strongest. I mean, I like Solo, too. But I think this movie holds up a little better than Solo does. But, like, if you want my rankings, personally, it's this, then The Last Jedi, then Solo, then Force Awakens, then um, Rise of Skywalker. Although, I'd rather rewatch like... I don't know, like, so next week, like I said, we have Solo, we don't have time for an audience question, really, because we're going up on 40 minutes, and I still have to cut this, and, and all of that, um, so we'll do, you know, and I, re- I want to rewatch Solo before I, I answer the question that I got, which is a continuation of last week's, where it's like, we did What If for the main series of Star Wars movies, what about for, um, Solo and Rogue One, so I, I want to rewatch Solo before we do that, because I've only seen Solo once, um, so until then, have a great rest of your week. Do you like the show? Do you hate the show? Are you indifferent to the show? No matter what, you should probably let us know what we're doing so we can change it to better suit you, the listener's needs. You can go to either bit.ly slash contact, which is a contact form page you can use. Also, you can just email us directly at 30minutereviews at gmail.com. If you have questions that you would like us to answer, we can answer them on the air. We have a few questions every week that will be selected to be answered on air. Um, so if you want to tell us what we should do, or if you have a suggestion for a movie or a TV show or something we should cover, go to bitbit.ly slash contact and also email us 30minutereviews at gmail.com.